We are constantly surrounded by music, whether it be in our cars, in our places of worship, on the street, or in our own homes. As technology has developed, we have increased the portability and shareability of music enormously. This ongoing barrage of music is generally assumed to be innocuous, just a form of entertainment. But what if it was something more? We're all familiar with the concept of music carrying a message in a metaphorical or emotional sense, or even a subliminal one if you're into conspiracy theories. But could we hide and encrypt actual messages in music? British author Philip Thickness certainly thought so. He proposed a system, a so-called harmonic alphabet, that could be used to hide messages in seemingly innocent compositions. He argued that one of the great advantages to the system was that this encrypted text would invite little suspicion. As Thickness said in his treatise on this harmonic alphabet, who that examined a suspected messenger would think an old song without words, in which perhaps the messenger's tobacco to snuff may be put, contained the secret he was to convey. Compared to an important looking document filled with incomprehensible letter combinations or symbols, a piece of sheet music would be much less likely to be confiscated and analyzed. This idea is even more relevant today, even though tobacco-toting messengers have long gone out of style. Why? Radio. The invention of radio has made it possible to transmit messages over long distances at the cost of making these communications vulnerable to interception. Therefore, good encryption is extremely important because anyone could be listening in. However, there are hundreds of stations broadcasting music to millions of listeners all the time, and no one even considers that the tunes hold any deeper meaning. A station broadcasting strings of numbers, letters, or dots and dashes will invite curiosity and suspicion, but the plethora of music stations out there receive little scrutiny. Polish cybersecurity researcher Krzysztof Szyporski has developed a potential method of musical steganography that is nearly undetectable to those not in the loop. It utilizes imperceptible shifts in tempo, or musical speed, to hide Morse code messages in electronic music. A slight decrease in tempo signifies a dot, and an increase signifies a dash. Over time, a whole message can be encoded within the song and then decoded by a trained listener or computer algorithm. Through this method, dubbed Stegobiza, secrets can be communicated over the radio, through internet streaming, or directly to the intended recipient on a club dance floor. While Stegobiza has a lot of potential as a method of hiding messages in music, it doesn't do much in terms of encoding. The message is concealed, but unprotected. So what about actual musical ciphers? Throughout his treatise, Thickness explains many options for a harmonic alphabet and how one could be used in conjunction with other encryption techniques to effectively decipher a message. Well, the most obvious place to start is with a simple substitution cipher. For each letter of our plain text, we replace it with a musical pitch. Conveniently, pitches are assigned letter names. The problem is, the scale only includes letters A through G. But many composers wanted to include short sequences of letters in their compositions, such as their names, and so they came up with systems to circumvent this issue. For example, in the German scale, the note we now call B natural was called H, and E flat was called S. Other digraphs could be represented with solfege syllables, that is, Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, or other sharps and flats. For example, here's my name enciphered by this method. The 
the French system of creating music cryptograms is a lot less applicable for actual cryptography. Instead of using digraphs, this scheme utilized a grid such that after the letter G, the scale would loop back again, so that H is enciphered by A, I by B, and so on. So here's my name enciphered again using this technique. This system works well for enciphering, but is difficult to decipher accurately because there isn't a one-to-one -one correspondence between plain text letters and ciphertext pitches. So for long messages that require clarity and specificity, this straightforward substitution isn't an ideal candidate. So what are our remaining options? One possibility is using one other notation system as well in our encoding process, namely numbers. Nine digits can easily be mapped to nine pitches, so all we have to do is encipher our message into numbers first, which is just another substitution cipher. Hexadecimals are also well suited for enciphering into music because hexadecimals are represented by letters A through F, all of which are included in the scale, and digits 1 through 9. Here's my name again, converted to ASCII hexadecimal, then to pitches. solves our problem with mapping the plain text to pitches, and the list of possibilities goes on. Of course, we can add as many levels of encryption before or after converting the plain text into pitches if we want extra security. But as you probably heard, these melodies aren't the most cohesive. They don't really sound like music. Sure, embedding the message within a larger piece and filling it out could help, but there's some other ways we can improve the palatability of the music ciphertext and provide more security. There's something special about music notation that makes it an especially fascinating medium for encryption. It carries multi-dimensional information. Let me explain. In standard music notation, each symbol must denote at minimum a duration, how long one holds a note or holds a rest. Any symbol that is not a rest also describes a pitch, how high or low the sound is, represented by the vertical position of the note on the staff. Sharps and flats, respectively, raise or lower the pitch by a smaller degree. Additionally, notes can be decorated with a variety of auxiliary symbols that instruct a musician how loud to play, how much the note should be connected, or whether a note should be held, accented, or ornamented. When it comes to steganography and cryptography, this complexity means more combinations of symbols, more information communicated per unit, more error resistance, and potentially more security. Music's multi-dimensional nature also provides more transformations that can be applied to the message. One technique that is often used in contrapuntal compositions is inversion, in which a melody is essentially flipped upside down. A leap that originally went up in pitch, like so, would go down instead. Then there is retrograde, which mirrors the music in time so that it's played backward. If the original melody sounded like this, the retrograde version would sound like this. Once a message has been converted into music, these transformations are a way to further hide it, or to make it sound more pleasant. 
If we're willing to risk fudging the plain text slightly for the sake of subtlety, there's yet another compositional technique that we can use, variations. It's quite common for composers to create pieces that consist of a main theme that is then modified slightly in different ways throughout the work. Despite having the same original basis, two variations on a theme can be drastically different from one another and the original motif or melody. In most theme and variations works, a trained music theorist can usually tease out how each variation is related to the theme, and it's possible to determine a starting theme from a relatively straightforward set of variations. However, there is one notable exception that has been plaguing music historians and theorists for the last century, Elgar's Enigma. Edward Elgar, born in 1852, was an English composer who is best known for Pomp and Circumstance, also known as that song that plays at graduations. But Elgar was also a cryptography enthusiast. He read articles about cryptography, made attempts at cracking ciphers, and even developed his own cipher. In July 1897, Elgar sent an enciphered letter to his friend, Dora Penny. The cipher used to encode the message, now known as the Dora Bella cipher, has yet to be definitively cracked. One year later, Elgar wrote his Enigma Variations, a 14-movement piece with a 10th movement titled Dorabella. In 1899, at the piece's debut, Elgar noted in the playbill, The Enigma I will not explain. Its dark saying must be left unguessed. Over the whole set, another and larger theme goes, but is not played. It was generally assumed that the first movement of the piece was the one and only true theme of the theme and variations, but Elgar's note implies that there is some other dark, secret theme throughout the piece that is never explicitly stated, allegedly a famous melody. And because of Elgar's recent forays into the field of cryptography, many suspect there could be a message encrypted within the piece that is somehow within or linked to this mysterious theme. Music professionals and amateur enthusiasts alike have tried and tried to decipher Elgar's enigma, but all attempts have so far been unsuccessful. The enigma, like the Dorabella cipher, remains uncracked. Through Thickness's treatise to Shaporsky's auditory steganography, music has been consistently shown to have potential when it comes to enciphering messages in a manner that is subtle, complex, and aesthetically pleasing. However, methods of music cryptography haven't been fully explored nor formalized. Maybe it's due to a deficit in music literacy, or a lack of military applications, or maybe cryptographers are just scared of more artistic mediums. But despite this, music has been used as a means of hiding and communicating secret messages by plenty of composers, many of which are considered some of the best and most influential. And interestingly enough, between the two cryptography-related creations named Enigma, it's Elgar's symphonic work that has remained unbroken for over a century. <laughs>